so you are joining us on this latest episode of Estranged Mid-Conversation. Uh, we just hopped on the call and we're having a mutual rant and then decided we better start recording this because this is potentially it's just too a good, good conversation. <laughs> it's just too good for anybody to miss. Yeah. No, no. This is, we haven't done a podcast with just us for a while. Yeah, it's been like uh, three, four weeks or something. Three or four weeks. It's got to be longer than that. Yeah. Um, no, I was telling you about uh, this <laughs> this article called The Trouble with Disparity. It's by mm-hmm. Adolf Reed and Walter Ben Michaels. And yeah. basically it's just making a claim that anti-racism, anti-racism is not, it, it really doesn't do anything. Uh, it looks like racism is the problem, but of course, if you look into it, if you're smart enough, uh, you know that it's, a, it's an economic problem. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just basically saying like it, inequality is there between, if you just consider just the black population, there's still an inequality there. Uh, so the top 10% of white people have 75% of white wealth. Uh, and then the same is true for black wealth. The top 10% of black households hold 75% mm-hmm. of black wealth. But you mm-hmm. are saying that capitalism has sort of divorced itself from money. Well, I think I was thinking about this yesterday. I was actually rereading for like the 15th time Capitalism Desire as Tom McGowan was going on about the difference between um, frustration and castration. And that's something that I kind of, and which is similar to the difference between loss and lack. And I was trying to, it kind of really jolted my mind because to me it's so obvious that, that woke ideology and the liberal, quote, liberal, I mean, I hate using this word because like this isn't, they're not left at all, they're more right wing than the right. And I say this without any sense of irony, <laughs> the liberal <coughs> left. Yeah. Um, we, we know that woke ideology is profoundly capitalistic. Like it's a bourgeois power grab and we all know it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, there's, there's several different reasons why this is obvious. The first one is that it is like an obvious, desperate uh, attempt. Or, I mean, I don't know, it, it seems deliberate, obviously, from a material economic sense. It's like there's reasons why people are motivated to do this. But to wrench any semblance of the political remaining from the public into the private. And the private... The constant privatization of everything is capitalistic. So taking a public discourse of what politics actually is to this, like the personal is political nonsense. And then also a distraction from the key question, which is surplus value and sacrifice on the back of workers and those who produce value, proletarians, etc., onto issues of cultural war issues. And that's the obvious thing. Then to me, I was thinking about this idea of um, frustration and castration. So castration is this inherent, it's a psychoanalytic idea of the inherent sense of impotence that we are all imbued with as speaking subjects. Mm -hmm. And we can't avoid it because we feel that we have been taken from a utopian oneness experience, which we have which is the process of separating from our mothers into into subjects. And that, <laughs> that separation has to happen if we are to be speaking subjects. Otherwise, we would just be vegetables. Yeah. So that is just, that's the, the take that comes with the give of being human. And it sucks. Yeah. And you always feel that the other is uncastrated. That's this fantasy that we have. Mm-hmm. But that fantasy keeps us libidinally invested in the world around us. 
And then on the other hand, you have frustration. And frustration is like legitimate unfairnesses that exist in the world. So for instance, I'm a woman 100 years ago, and I can't vote. Okay, I mean, when I talk about the, the women's issues from 100 years ago, like the majority of women, obviously, historically have been working class. So the majority of women worked in the past. <laughs> so sometimes like, I want to have a career or something like nobody gets to have a career in this world. This is the other thing that I think is hilarious. Mm -hmm. But that's another issue. The idea that like everybody aspires to this, like, what a capitalist. You mean like a career, 8 of like you don't have a career, a career has you. Is that what you mean? Well, no, no, not at all. It's that like, there's this idea that everybody can be an eight percenter. Oh, yeah. And by eight percent, I mean like somebody who has a meaningful career within a managerial position where they feel that they have agency and they're not just an exploited worker, even though they are exploited to a certain degree. Yeah. But like, that's a fantasy that, you know, it doesn't exist. And the fact that everyone goes to university now, we're kind of like imbued with this idea that that can happen. And now obviously the tragedy of 2008 and this year, and we're all being confronted with the fact that that's not going to happen, but that wasn't going to happen anyway. But that's a whole separate issue, tangent. Cool. Was like, yeah, so frustration and castration. So frustration is something like, let's say you are um, a gay person and growing up you had to hide that fact because you would be bullied um, and until recently you couldn't get married. That's frustration. Those are legitimate unfairnesses that something should be done about in order to make your life better. Mm -hmm. However, castration, nothing can be done about yeah it's just inherent to human existence and you don't actually want to overcome it because either you would become a vegetable or you would die or you would be melancholic and you couldn't exist yeah. anyway so um so but the thing is what woke culture does is it heart it uses this idea of frustration to galvanize or to attempt to overcome castration mm -hmm. because it uses so Overcoming castration, we always have this, like, as humans, this, like, give and take with this idea of castration. Like, we attempt to overcome it through fantasy, and the attempt to overcome it is, like, libidinal investment in the system. Yeah. And so it does keep us going. So we have to kind of, like, perpetually forget our castration. Yeah. But the idea is, like, so using this idea of being gay, for instance, whereas, yes, okay, let's say 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, things were less equal. And I'm sure we can find instances where it's still quote unquote unequal now, mm -hmm. but you're using that identity question of legitimate frustration to try to attempt to insert yourself in some kind of libidinal oneness. Yeah. That you are the queen of the universe, that the everybody boss of the universe. Exactly. You are going to overcome an inherent sense of lack. Mm hmm. So that's what makes it capitalism. I mean, that's what capitalism does. It tries to hide the, essentially what lack is, like lack. Yeah. This, or the real. Yeah, or and it's... the gaze or whatever. And it's really depressing because if you sort of follow the thread, the, the narrative thread of capitalism, um, it accounts for everything. Because, like the other day we were talking about how we were just kind of giving up on politics. Um after Bernie, after Bernie dropped out. And, it, and it's not because we think that if Bernie would have won, the things would have been like, oh, some like, you know, perfect or whatever. But um, I think it happens to every generation. I mean, we, you, we talk a lot about 69 and... It, it, 69. 69. Wow. <laughs> 68. Yeah. 68. And, and basically what happened is that all those guys became like Wall Street guys. And, you know, it, it, yeah. they left... 
they abandoned the political vehicle of like their own making and i think it happens to to every generation it's just like you know forget about politics because it can't work for you and that's something that capitalism sort of like just it encourages for you to just leave it alone and, and let it work for you know for the rich or whatever but but yeah if you follow this like the logic of of capitalism basically uh, let's take for example the 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 girl boss the girl boss what is a boss what does capitalism say that a boss is it's someone that is sacrificial it's someone that that doesn't put himself first but puts the func the like the functioning of the system uh it, it the person is there just to optimize it and to be at the service of of it and i think that that's precisely what happens it's just like when you when you really believe that you just want to be a girl boss or whatever maybe it's true what you're saying that there's a divorce from money and there's a devotion to sort of the functioning of capital uh instead of just like because i don't think that you know maybe for some people it's just like i just want money but i think for most people and especially when you look at the the discourse of like intersectionality um, what they want, to, it, it, there's all this, there's all this language of power and who has power mm -hmm. and we need to take power back and we need mm -hmm. to be empowered. So, yeah, I think it, it's, uh, the illusion of power has become more important than economic equality. Yeah. I mean, this is something I've also been thinking about. I mean, I don't have like a clear picture of it in my head at all. And I know like trying to explain to older generations that money is not as important now. I kind of feel like capital has become something else. Obviously, we look at like the way that the internet has worked and how value is created without the distribution of money. Mm -hmm. And so this huge moneyless transactions, moneyless, uh, you know, unawarded sacrifice goes on. So if we look at the example of Instagram, Instagram is purely unpaid labor, <laughs> you know. So it's an entertainment um medium for which all the content is made by its users and obviously you know people want lots of likes and almost will attempt to get more likes than money and i think you see this with people who buy fake followers mm -hmm. like the buying fake followers means that money is less important than the followers mm -hmm. so my point being is that like when woke ideology is like biting for or setting groups against each other um, to find their place on the totem pole of who has the most reason to be uh, feel excluded yeah. or to feel hard done by that is a capitalist gesture because that being excluded token that hard done by-ness is is like a is like a is capitalist coin and but there are only but the ones that who have something to complain about, but it touches too much on the key antagonism in our contemporary system. They cannot have a voice. They cannot be recognised. So it has to be um, a form of uh, perceived outsideness that isn't really outside. Mm -hmm. Because because the market wants to promote that rather than the key antagonism, because the key antagonism would disrupt the system. Yeah. So by definition, the fact that we accept the sense of uh, dismay 
from certain individuals mm-hmm. um, shows it also shows that those they already have power yeah so I guess so, I, yeah no I mean I guess the question is like can the system work at all and does does libidinal investment in politics and I don't mean I don't mean like uh, the, the the like the the, the personal is, is is political I just mean that you know the, the the sort of the political structure can it work for the most instead of the few and yeah there's a there's a there's a sort of like encouragement in in, in the capitalist narrative that invites you to believe that that it can it can only work for the few and yeah i mean w- what do you think about this like this is another thing that i think comes from like corporate language which is like money can't buy happiness what do you think about that? Because it's also maybe it's sort of like a straw man thing because it's it, it's the the formulation is all wrong. I mean, because happiness shouldn't even be something that you strive for, and it mm-hmm. it much less should be something that you buy. But <clears throat> yeah, it, I think it takes away attention from the fact that money is the way that we. I don't know. It it accommodates you in society. Yeah, it doesn't buy you mm-hmm. happiness, but it, it the, a lack of money certainly does yeah, produce creation. like unhappiness. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Only, but then I guess there's a difference between like happiness and uh, security. Like we all need a level of security to yeah. be able to function, to be able to yeah feel a level of that 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 level of security allows for a happiness. But where it is correct is like if you see happiness as an idea of. Um, contentment in the world then money yeah money doesn't mm-hmm. provide that but it can provide a sense of uh material security not transcendent security yeah um but um yeah i was going to say something about the idea of what you know it is so funny we live in this like prof- profoundly unpolitical age but it feels so pervasively political yeah. like everything you know you watch something and it, it deals with identity quote-unquote politics and it riles you you know you're just like i just you know how is it overtaking the culture but it is the fact that it, it has all been swept into culture means that there's no politics and the fact that so so capitalism wants individual individualization and it wants everybody to be equally private and individual and the same but different in their is in that they're separated by a sense of privacy so like like because you have to have the barrier of the private for things to be extracted for you if you like have everything in the public in the first place there's no extraction there's no sacrifice there's no capitalizing on it but so this this politics becoming everything to do with yourself and then this moral responsibilization on making sure you say the right thing and treat people a certain way and police yourself like this isn't politics at all yeah um, and I think the thing is, we can see it's it's not a coincidence. In fact, I think they go hand in hand. The fact that we have this utter joke of an election coming up, like an utter joke. Yeah. If an alien from outer space came, you'd see like we have a clown and somebody who is so old and out, you know, just unable to do this. And this is what has ended up like. And, and these people are materially exactly the same. In fact, we could argue in many ways, Trump is an, a horrendous, horrible clown, but the democratic parties further to the right in many ways if we use a traditional model of assessing what right and left are yeah that's you know what the fuck has happened and everything 
seems politicised on an aesthetic level in the cultural sphere, but it's not political at all. It's purely capitalistic. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, and it's also just like when Trump won, everybody was just freaking out that he was going to run the country like an enterprise or like a company. Mm-hmm. And, and that it, already fucking happened. Yeah, it, it already it, it was already like that. But what happened is that the supposed sort of liberal left uh, mm-hmm. immediately sort of like entered that 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 corporate language like it, it started yeah. to use sort of like the currency of that of that type of language and it's just it's 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 completely disheartening if you i mean i know you're into like tarot cards and crystal if you look into your crystal ball um My crystals yeah yeah no just kidding but, <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, how much for how much longer do you think that this sort of liberal narrative is going to have currency? Because I, I sent you this video. I don't know how old it is, but it's it's. I think it's it's a company, and they invited mm-hmm. this like black fat woman to, uh, to to say you know basically she has like this these boards, and she's saying like you know all all white people are racist, and then she goes on to say that they're basically subhuman. And that they're demons. Yeah, demons, <laughs> demons. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then also, she has like her PayPal address so that mm-hmm. they could send her money. Um, it, it, it's just like it's completely. It's kind of like Trump, you know, like when Trump came in, like he changed the aesthetics of what it means to run the country as a corporation, and mm-hmm. it 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 became sort of like obscene. And when I saw this video yeah. of this woman like giving this this talk or this seminar or whatever, uh, it 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 had this sort of like tinge of of the obscene, and yeah, it, it, more and more it's having this like sort of like just like obscenely individualistic, hedonistic uh, edge to it. Like, do you think that that's going to become the norm, or or people are going to be like, well, that's you know, it's that, interesting respond like, to the to I- the obscenity of it. It's because I had not like like pictured it like that, but you're absolutely right. The, the megalomania of Trump is the same as the ex, you know the um, the excesses of the megalomania of woke culture. And yeah, the other the side same, of the coin or whatever. The other side. I mean, you have the like you have the the court jester provocation side of it. Mm-hmm. Then you have the extreme individualization. You know, you have an extreme sense of camp and ridiculousness, and a sense of. Um, I mean, and within camp, you know, this gaudiness, this extremity, this lavishness, this over the top, like, because then you can say something like, oh, well, you know, I don't mean literal demons. I just mean, you know, figuratively speaking, we have to use this language because nothing can quite, you know, th- that's a language of prov- provocation. That's a language of the frigging circus promoter type thing. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. And we can all say, you know, yes, the contingent reality of, capitalism developing in northern europe at a certain time and then uh you know questions of racial whatever being used as a moral well as as a cope to justify ridiculous amounts of exploitation that were like objectively bad and then we have the consequences of that that many people let's say in america who are descendants from slaves you know um are coming from an original position a few hundred years ago and all the things that had been kept used to keep them down over the decades and also you know under capitalism you have like four percent chance of changing your class over your lifetime like you know we can see why we're in this situation but the other thing is that like it's not a question and this is i've always said this about feminist feminism i have because 
okay, you can say, it's just about equality. It's like, well, we know it's, it's not. It's not because you already have equality aside from biological inequality. And also, I it's, mean, identity can't, there, you can't have equality in identity. That's no, just you can't. Ridiculous. You can't. I know. And this is the thing. It's like universalism is about, you know, considering people as equal in their, well, our, our, I guess the way that we would interpret a universalism around a lack is that we are all equal in our otherness. castration. We, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and equal in our otherness. And the people who really need to know this are the prime accumulators, the most egregious capitalists. Mm-hmm. The, the wealthy need to recognize this the most. And then, you know, potentially we can lessen individuals' libidinal investment in a capitalist structure. But the idea that, um, you know, these movements, oh, but they were originally a universalist movement. It's like, were they? Yeah. Were they really? Like, if we look at suffragettes in the UK, I mean, I don't know much about anything, but a lot of, there was a motivation for wealthy women to have the vote before the working man and it was the fact that the working man got the vote after world war one that motivated you know a lot of the reasons as to why obviously there's many many reasons that's just part of it and you know but the 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 question of the word feminism as well it's like (laughs) darian leader has a joke about the term neuroscience it's like it's the only science that has the word science in the world as if it's like desperately like, no, no, it's actually a science. <laughs> but so like feminism, mm. it has the, like, it, it's just the word itself. Obviously like words are slippery and also meaningless and everything, but like it's centered around this word female. It's a female ist. Yeah. It's not a universalist thing. Yeah. Yeah. God, and- I've just ex- really expressed myself there. <laughs> no. And, and, and you can already tell that, uh, identity politics is just so perfect for capitalism. It's so perfect absolutely, because it gets absolutely. into the same thing. I was I was uh, perusing around Twitter the other day and I saw this tweet. Uh, I don't know, a woman or they, she or whatever, um, was saying that uh, the, that obesity is is a violent word. Like I think I can find the 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 um the exact quote here uh yeah basically she says the term obese is a slur it's violent dehumanizing and it's (laughs) anti-black so uh, yeah basically everything sort of like enters this economy and and no one identity can sort of like complete the circle of uh, uh oppression you know it's like it never totally accounts for oppression so they're just throwing whatever they can at it like now obesity is basically a black thing and it's it's racist if you use the word obese and i'm sorry like what like this is another thing that uh, these european standards of beauty and all this kind of stuff so I, I know that, especially people on the right, say that all of this stuff comes from French theory. And I'm like, this is not French theory. But I always think it's like you have people who, like, let's say, are, um, you know, the, the, you have the Lacans, the Freuds, Hegels, and all this kind of continental philosophy stuff. Obviously, you know, I, I do think that they're, like, lesser theorists. And I think a lot of the lesser theorists are um, have been, like, popularised in the States. I mean, like it's Foucault like, and Derrida or whatever? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But they like, people have never read the original, like, no. you know, where, it, but, and so to blame the original on something like Lacan and whatever, is to say like, okay, so you have like brain surgery and now we have like 
50% of the graduates who graduate from universities in the States, and let's say 50% of the population Mm -hmm. goes to universities. 25% of kids between the ages of 18 and 22 studying stuff that they really don't understand. I wouldn't even say that they don't read it. I wouldn't give them the luxury of saying that they haven't read it. I think that they have read it, but they misunderstand it for their own benefit. I mean, this is exactly what happened in film theory. Like, Laura Mulvey really really misunderstands Lacan yeah but I feel like I've been I keep kept this under my under my hat for years and now <laughs> I'm just expressing myself but like yeah like that there, there are primary misunderstandings and the primary misunderstandings like I have to say I think Deleuze, Guattari and people like that make a make a primary mistake in their work which is they believe that there's a utopia that there is a yeah. world beyond castration yeah, and not even just saying, and that's like, that's also, capitalism. That's capitalism right there. Yeah, and even <laughs> that's the best. Yeah, and even communism, uh, people that just call yeah, themselves absolutely. like communist, it's because they mm-hmm. are attracted to this idea of a world without a contradiction. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like they're they're sort of like tethered to this idea of the utopia. But I was like, yeah. I, because I hate myself, I was like looking at this show called uh, Legendary. I told you about mm-hmm. it, and it's uh, yeah, there used to be a ball for presentations of fashion or whatever for like queer people transgender and it used to be like underground Paris is burning type thing yeah yeah it it, it had like this sort of like potential for subversiveness and I think maybe that Mm -hmm. was the original idea but then it got picked up by HBO or Max or whatever and um it it basically became sort of like uh an imitation or a simulacrum of uh American Idol so now you have like Well, there's like Jamila Jamil, but then you have another another person that is like sort of like playing the bitchy sort of uh, what's what's this uh, this British guy Simon that, Simon Cowell Simon Cowell just like completely ruthless and being like really rude and and, and narcissistic mm-hmm. and and yeah it's it's like they 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 sort of just like are catty against each other and having this this sort of just like extremely individualist and. And, and and they're also hungry for like money and they're also hungry for like recognition and I don't know. It just like well, it, it, it Do you know this is how the can thing. it be like, subversive? I mean, it's just if it's just like a it, yeah, it, it's just they're all fighting against each other. It's like completely yeah. capitalist. But but this is the what the what versus the how, you know, because um Paris is burning is, you know, is the original documentary that did you know, that that it I think brought this subculture of like voguing to to the public Mm -hmm. and obviously like it was originally this idea of yes aversiveness and you're dressing up just as like you know the drag queen or um or you you're kind of like using the language and the uh culture of the elite that you are completely um like you know outside of but sending it up to expose the um impotence of it mm-hmm. and also to engage in a sort of fantasy that you will never be able to access because of the capitalist system mm-hmm. but now what they're doing is like taking it really fucking seriously as in like it's not exposing the impotence it's the striving for power yeah so it's, it's like the inversion of the takedown no, and, and this I, is what I and kind of also, think with the girl, girl boss thing, yeah. Yeah, and there's also a shift there that if Paris is Burning or Legendary or whatever used to have this sort of like subversive possibility to it, where you know it, it's it's a it's culture against 
or subculture against main culture. Um, now it's that sort of like that that sort of like antagonism has been like shifted inwards, and now it's just like queer against queer uh, instead mm-hmm. of subculture against like main culture. And yeah, they're all just like bitchy against each other, and like you can even tell that it's just like some of the groups or whatever like teams that that are in the show like eventually they just like hate each other because they've been pegged against each yeah. other in in this sort of like uh, capitalist economy. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, where's the solidarity? Doesn't yeah. exist in under capitalism. And um, but you see this with unions, like unions. Now, Peter discovered this thing about a union. Um, what was it? It was doing something that unions really shouldn't fucking do. And it's like you can't be join a union if you don't swear an oath to, you know, the Brownie Promise Code of LGBTQ plus IA, blah, blah, blah. Like, what the fuck has that got to do with unions? It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with unions. So it's like even something like a union has become like the opposite of what he... It, it's strange and it, it's all disintegrating around us at like such a fast pace, but it's like... As soon as something gets capitalized upon, the motivation is to distinguish, delineate, separate, and pit against each other. Yeah. So this striving for self-actualization through the recognition of all of your identity questions and that that's going to make you transcendentally happier. Yeah. As, a, as if that's a political thing. No, that's a personal thing. That's like, you know taking as i say it's taking old frustrations that you know potentially thankfully are now changing Mm -hmm. and weaponizing them as an attempt to overcome a sense of castration yeah but uh yeah i mean it's funny because um i heard people were saying that there was a uh, like many months ago an antagonism between antifa and blm which is true because i blm um I think, you know, there was, a, there was a, a moment when there was a kind of, like, cooperation, potentially, or synchronicity of coming into the streets at the same time. Um, and, of course, yeah, there was an antagonism, because BLM, I think, it was fighting to be part of the system. Yeah. And Antifa is fighting to destroy the system. Yeah, but it um, needs the however, system in order I think, to exist. Exactly, exactly. But Antifa, I think, is also not a left-wing project at all. No. And I am I don't think anarchism is a left-wing project. Well, actually. anarchism is like, funny- how can you how can you be over 14 years old and still be an anarchist? People are calling themselves anarchists. Have you heard this, like, um, lu- oh, was it fully automated luxury communism? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I honestly, the thing is that, that it's missing. It's like many, these people may have read a lot of books, mm-hmm. but the primary antagonism that is delineated in Hegel and then all these people like Marx, but Marx, there is a sort of a mutation within Marx, mm-hmm. all these people that have become the canonical left. It started there, but like 90% of it misses the original insight. Mm-hmm. And unless you hold steadfast that insight, it's just going to be capitalism a million point oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. the best we get is just like capitalism 1.0 versus capitalism 2.0. Or not even that, it's just like mm-hmm. 1.1, you know? Like, eventually what happens is just that people become nostalgic for a less violent, less brutal version of capitalism. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's basically, yeah, like what Mark Fisher calls like the, the erasure of, of the future. But 
I like how you started with the idea of like frustration versus castration, and maybe we can talk about the not just the castration of the political, but the castration of the universe as such through the film that we chose for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, film, oh, film. I forgot about that. 13th Floor, right? 13th Floor. Um, it's from 98, 99, I think. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's, it is funny watching um, a 90s movie like that. It's, it's so, awful. The, the tone feels odd. It's a terrible, yeah, it's a really bad film. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> but, no. I was like, Adrian, this is seriously, although we, we don't we don't care about the, the the aesthetic quality of the film. It's just, you know, what we can use to have a discussion. But yeah, it is a shit film. Yeah, 1999, directed by Joseph Rosneck. Um, and yeah, basically the, the film is about virtual reality. And there's this guy that is accused of killing a, 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 a guy that has a, a multi-billion dollar company uh, that created sort of virtual reality. And it does a simulation of Los Angeles like back in the 30s. And uh, he gets killed and then his heir is accused of, of killing him. And anyway, he goes into the simulation, finds a message from the guy that was killed. And basically what, what the message is is that his own reality back in the 90s is, uh, is itself a simulation. And there's a part in the movie where this guy goes to sort of like the end of Los Angeles and he notices that there's a sort of like, I don't know, like a reduction of reality into a virtual sort of like, you know, green lines, kind of like the Matrix. There's like this sort of like, uh, yeah, like a digital topology with like linear sort of angles that that like end up being, yeah it's like it's like a grid and, and it has the shape of like mountains or whatever at the end and um yeah so he finds out that his reality is actually also a simulation and and then at the end he he manages to go into the real world but there's a there right when the film ends there's this insinuation that even that one is a simulation right and all to say that there's a there's a sort of like containment of reality, and if you get to the edge of it or to the center of it, um, it it's it's incomplete. There's there's a lack, and I think that that's nice because it's, you know, the, like I think Zizek's work it, uh, more than any other philosopher has to do with this the ontological incompleteness of the universe as such, mm -hmm. and the fact mm -hmm. that we sprout out of that lack. We mm -hmm. like subjectivity as a response to the fact that the universe doesn't make sense. The universe is mm -hmm. is at its core incomplete. And yeah. and I think that people basically over fantasize about the fact that that's not true. And, and yeah, it's absolutely. And I don't know. I, I think that the, that might be sort of like the reason why no sort of solution ever makes sense because every solution is a lie. Every solution is not something that it can actually cover over the gap that is inherent to the universe. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's always a fiction. And, and this is why I love this Lacan uh, phrase that says that, that truth has the structure of a fiction. And it's because, because every time that we try to sort of congregate around a master signifier uh, that master signifier is always a way to just cover over the lack 
uh, and it's and it is yeah. a fiction and it has the structure of a fiction. And, and yeah, this is something also that comes out in The Matrix, um, which is another film that came in, in the same year. Basically, Neo just like goes into uh, in, into uh, Zion, which is supposed to be like this this society that is real against the matrix, which is like the simulation by the computers. But then later in the film, you, you, you find in, I think it's the second film or third one that you find out that Zion itself is a, is a virtual reality. And maybe there's this way in which like everything is a simulation in that universe. And it doesn't matter how many layers you peel back. Uh, and, and I think we can talk about like, how many ideologies can you peel back and what do you mm -hmm. find at the center? And at the center yeah. is, is just like, it's, it's, it's a complete gap. It's a void. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The kind of, um, obviously the big reveal in this movie is that uh, having left one uh, one you know, the real world to enter simulation, that actually the, the real world is a simulation itself. Um, yeah, I mean... And I guess this is what we're talking about with 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 ideology that like all the woke ideology that this attempt at truth or that this like you know may, maybe it was originally like a, a good idea and attempting to do something good but it still comes up against the the like concrete wall mm -hmm. of meaninglessness. Yeah, yeah, and I think that there's there, I think that there's an attempt. Uh, that that people think like oh we've been in an ideology where we think that power is not is not important, mm -hmm. but then they, there's this movement to try to empower people, uh, and, and you know th there's this, there's these things that come into fashion of just like oh the reason why you don't have power or the reason why you don't have money is because of your identity and it's just it's a new ideology ideology to peel back but people just think that it's going to be the and I'll say all of of what is sort of like the 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 existing structure, but maybe even I mean capitalism. I think it's it's the response to that lack, and and it's it it it's a fictitious sort of response. But I think that it's a mistake to think that that can be overcome, that the lack can be overcome, because mm -hmm. it, it, mm -hmm. it, it it could be called a lot of things. Like Ernest Becker called it sort of like the denial of death. And I think that maybe Hegel would have instead called it like the denial of the gap or the denial of, of uh, the inherent sort of void. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think that it can have different names, but as long as we don't sort of confront the reality that it can't be completed, that that is his nature, the fact that reality exists, mm -hmm. it's because of this gap. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But there is no politics of the incomplete. You know, there's only politics that yeah. attempt to sort of like create a narrative that is, yeah, just 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 disregards the lack. You know, I think you know it's funny because you think about politics that like a politics of like something universal or like a universal project of recognizing the lack or incompleteness would require people to. Um, stand with people that they despise or that they have used as you know ideological scapegoats to to generate a sense of meaning and that is like so difficult for people to do mm -hmm. you know it's so difficult for people to do when they're under the well this is this is the thing of capitalism it's like 
Capitalism is this illusion of freedom. It's a you know this illusion of this like natural economic system. I mean, nominally, and, it's just like the free market. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's not a coincidence that the word free is there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, but it's unnecessary suffering. Mm-hmm. But the solution is not oh you don't get you you get to not suffer. Yeah, because I I think that like really the other side of capitalism is something that looks similar but people are libidinally disinvested mm-hmm. and that's it that's the best we can hope for yeah. and therefore it will be you know and that is the route the royal road to equality mm-hmm. <laughs> basically if people are libidinally disinvested from you know this idea that accumulating will give them a sense of mastery over their castration then we can actually recognize other people I think it's the only way to recognize the other. At the moment, the only way that capitalism can get people to like um, invest in the other is like by well, this is like the, the the charity thing, which obviously plays on like a moral responsibilization, or um, you know the same as the GTX idea of sorting the coke cans out to to overcome climate change, or um, you know sort of like uh, a sort of virtue. At like a brownie point of virtue for doing something it's like no you like it's not virtuous to recognize the other it's like a natural result of realizing that you are a, a fragment of the piece of shit nothingness that is the universe we live in and so is everybody else yeah yeah no and i think that this uh yeah the, maybe people just go too far <laughs> with their with their sort of like political projects because i think that okay it's not possible to sort of erase or overcome the the suffering of people, but what do you think would be sort of like a reasonable protest against capital? Maybe to stop the the commodification of suffering, because yeah, I I think towards the end you're just wondering like what is there to fight for at all, and and I do think that it's necessary for people to have a fight against something. I mean, it's just in our nature to to go against something but what do you think would be something dignified that doesn't try to overcome the yeah the, i mean we have something that we need to we need to deal with that we need to fight against and that is you know what is going on with the planet that we live in mm-hmm. like that's one thing there's plenty there's plenty already for us to like get riled up about and to fight against like that you know creating great work that's meaningful to people yeah yeah and, like finding truth in that and this is uh this is one of the one of the things that makes me wonder about Badiou's work because he has mm-hmm. this, he has a term for like passion for the real which is a sort mm-hmm. of a sort of like disregard for the symbolic order and mm-hmm. and the way that we navigate the world but Lacan talked about the real sort of the intrusion of the real against the symbolic order which which basically changes the way that a subject a sort of uh, uh, reads his own coordinates in the symbolic order and yeah what do you think about the fact that some people say that like environmental catastrophe is sort of like a, a manifestation of the real that is starting to change the symbolic order or does it at all? I mean, and that's the other thing. It's just like, where does death drive come into play when it comes to the intrusion of the real? Uh, do people actually want destruction? 
and you know what is the amount of agency that people get from protesting against something and fighting against something or do they lose themselves yeah. in the fight uh is there a desire to not only end things but to end oneself i mean so northern ireland is always like an interesting example to come back to that like the reason why the troubles had to end is that the fight was no longer worth it Mm-hmm. you get lost in the fight I mean that's why World War II obviously you know Hitler committed suicide but World War II ended when the atomic bombs were dropped in Japan and it was the fight is no longer worth it yeah although you know but then World War II got the world out of the Great Depression yeah. World War Two to me is like the war of liberalism. It's like a war caused by lib- the lib- like the liberal, the new economic liberal political economy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, it's interesting. Um, Badji has like uh, he calls you know his disdain for capitalism comes in the fact that like it's pure animalism. It's human animalism. We have to over you know, and that's what makes it profoundly inhuman and disgusting but to me no it's not animalistic at all mm-hmm. animals don't overvalue anything and you couldn't have capitalism without being a speaking subject without being a human yeah i mean i wonder what but you would think about uh what what can become the real or uh take the guise of the real because when i saw this 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 video that i was telling you about of this black woman that is just like giving a seminar calling people i i it seems like that that's sort of like an intrusion of the real as well or it has the potential Mm -hmm. to be because it's it could lead to the abandonment of identity politics uh Mm -hmm. at least in that in that guise but so so you mean like the real is basically like this great like kind of like random reminder of the meaninglessness of everything and then it kind of like undercuts some ideological project yeah i mean but but i think that the same way that derrida talked about like deconstruction it's not something that you can Mm -hmm. take a hold of at all Mm -hmm. um and and i do wonder if like i haven't read but you uh very closely but uh and and can the real become like political and uh, well do you know what like I actually think that, you know, talking about this idea of frustration and castration, like frustration as well comes out of like what materially exists in the world that is an obstacle to attaining, well, either to existing in the way that you want to exist or being able to exist or in the way of some obstacle in the way of your desire. Like I, so, so the real does come into that. Like you can't control this like chaotic universe and so things will emerge that get in your way, and that's frustration. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the way that Peter talks about it is uh, Peter Rollins. The way that he talks about it is just maybe to 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 create a relationship with the real directly. Um, mm-hmm. At least that's the way that I've understood some of his work, and it's just like to to become sort of enamored or to create a fidelity to the lack itself. But yeah, but yeah, that exactly, basically. Exactly. But I don't know about you, but it's just like it's so frustrating because living in a society in which you're always expecting what comes next is mm-hmm. is just it's just so prevalent, and it's it's um yeah it 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 eventually becomes the castration. It, it yeah it 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 
it transforms frustration into into castration. Well, this is to, to me like okay. There's a couple of things with what you're saying. So this idea of like a fidelity to the lack itself. Like what capitalism does is it covers over sacrifice. So sacrifice has been used as like a um, a way to kind of like gird subjectivity in every kind of like human um, population through history. You know, it's, it's like a um, an amulet, an imaginary amulet that you use to kind of believe that you can like garner some control over the real, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have it within capitalism, but we have to cover it over. But it happens more, there's more sacrifice in our system than potentially any system ever. And it happens, like you look at a logo, a logo represents sacrifice. Like A logo is just the fucking like team name of the, you know, instead of it being a basketball team, the like exploitation team that steals money from workers or has children like suffering in some sweatshop in the Far East, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't, but that's the sacrifice that's like, hidden within the logo and that's what gives the logo value but we can't recognize the sacrifice Mm -hmm. so the sacrifice like is the key to being able to see the real Mm -hmm. but so potentially in the past we were more able to have like a fidelity to lack because you could actually like see the visible covering over of the lack through visible sacrifice yeah. But now we can't even experience sacrifice. And if you point it out too much, um, it's too, it's, it's, it's like, it's distasteful or upsetting. I mean, it, you know, like an Olympic medal is valuable because of all the people who have tried to... So we think it's valuable under capitalism, let's say. We had this athlete in the UK, Paula Radcliffe, who's the world record holder for the marathon. And in 2003, she ran a time that was like astronomically faster than any woman had ever run before. And she could have made the Olympic team for men, all this kind of stuff. And under capitalism, the you know apparent sacrifices, oh, it's so difficult for her to run. And she's so tired. And oh my God, she trained several hours a day and she trained, she pushed herself so hard, she pushed herself, she tried to run. That's not what makes, okay, that to a certain extent, that's what makes it valuable to her, to the individual. But what makes the world record or the gold medal valuable within society is that hundreds of thousands of people who tried to get there and failed, you know, all the the child gymnasts in the gyms of... (laughs) China, who are 10 years old and yeah. working 10 hours a day, but they're never going to make it. So yeah. that's the idea. It was interesting on um, an Instagram today, I got suggested this video that was like Denzel Washington giving a speech about like trying hard and all these well-known black actors who were like... Oh, yeah, I love those. I love... The greats. Yeah, the greats, I love... I love, uh, I love watching The Rock and Will Smith yeah. like pretending to be my father. I love that. Yeah. But it's funny because they're saying like, you got to work hard. And the reason why we're in this position is we, we came with a good attitude every day to work. And we, da, 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 we, we, we got 800 rejections, but the 801st we went, uh, but it's like, that's why, that's why the Oscar is valuable to you. <laughs> but yeah. like the, the lie of capital, well, capitalism is, it's like 
No, everybody is doing that. Everybody is equally trying and equal has equal number of hours in the day and most people, you know. And if they're not doing that, then there is like an inherent psychic sacrifice where people feel guilty that they're not, they feel depressed, that they're inadequate or they're not doing something. So it's like the sacrifice is all the unseen people who have tried and failed. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess what I'm trying to say is like there's so much hidden sacrifice and we need to be able to see that sacrifice in order to be able to see the lack that's inherent with our system and to be able to like acknowledge it and have a fidelity to it and create something new. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, uh, one of the things that I think about also is just like, basically, I think one of the problems or one of the symptoms of capitalism is that everybody has become perverse. Everybody, yeah. everybody has become a fetishist. So let's take, for example, that. Yeah, this is something that's so fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. No, let's take, for example, someone that likes, uh, I don't know, puffy nipples or whatever. Uh, yeah, a man that likes puffy nipples and a woman. Right. And okay. so he basically fetishizes this 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 sort of like uh, anatomical object. And he's in a relationship with a woman that has that. And but he he doesn't love the woman as such. Like his center of attraction mm-hmm. is 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 that type of nipple. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't that exactly what is happening with capital and and people that are like capitalist subjects they've become fetishes to the point that they can't relate to the world except through the fetishization of power or the fetishization of like accumulation or or identity or it could become anything it's just like you're missing you're missing the world for this one thing that eventually you know becomes your you know what this i think this is a really interesting point and i think i'm just going to use it as a way to explain how um people came to believe that sexual repression and capitalism were kind of the same thing and intertwined and it's actually the opposite yeah but you it, it is in fact the precise opposite <laughs> but um but what you're saying is you, you know fetishistic disavowal and that 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 is that's a um a, a fetish is a way of like covering over the like basically gaping hole that exists within like sexual fantasy (laughs) paper that over with a puffy nipple but the same thing happens in um in capitalism but this is a libidinal investment this is not sexual but i think that when people maybe like some retail sorry i can't say that word (laughs) silly people misread freud or whatever or they only read civilization this discontent and didn't actually read realize that by later freud he like thought kind of the same and the opposite at the same time don't you think also that money is the ultimate sort of object of fetish like yeah yeah of course it is yeah yeah and i think also people like if they don't have the luxury of fetishizing money they will eventually attempt to create their own fetish and in, in, you know and something else on a that's person interesting. Or that's really interesting i mean this is because to go back to what we we're talking about in terms of like money and the like lack of money people don't have money now obviously materially we don't have money to touch anymore you know it's all done digitally we don't have the same the same like tactile experience of writing out a check or feeling like we have a wad of cash in our purse um but money money has less of a presence in society uh, I think since the rise of tech and since financialization, because we have basically extracted huge amounts of wealth from normal people um, to 
basically go to corporations and shareholders and actually it's not shared in the like material process of actual like labor mm-hmm. anymore um and we've had to paper that over with credit and things like that and now we're literally the stage where like most people have minus a gazillion pounds and they get so so and obviously there's a generation indebted from going to college and there's obviously not enough jobs for them there's certainly not enough managerial jobs and so money is just not something they'll ever be able to like you know aspire to yeah and then that potentially there's a replacement in terms of fetishistic disavowal from from money itself to identity yeah and i think there's there's really something sort of obscene there's something really obscene about identity politics especially when it manifests itself in this like extreme way extremely obscene why yeah and why why because it's because it's fetishism, because it's public yeah. fetishism. And uh, I think one of the great insights of Freud is that uh, uh, what is what is it that you're missing when you're fetishizing identity? It's you're missing the space or the gap between a person and his identity. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, we're fetishizing identity when really we need to have a sort of fidelity to the difference between exactly. uh, you know myself and my identity. Absolutely. If identity, if, okay, the, the left wing reading of identity politics would be: this is an opportunity for us to all experience how our identity can never actually capture our identity, and that the like so to me the impotence of intersectionality is the fact that you have to overload with all these additional identities because it just essentially fails as a premise that's the left-wing project not the attempt to overcome the fact that it doesn't work but this is this is the thing like you know and it kind of makes me kind of so upset when obviously the liberal uh, left gets called the left because it's not and then you have this like weird antagonism and libidinal lock between the the right or you know the old school right and the left and then you see a lot of people turning to the likes of trump because they aren't presented with an alternative because obviously it's much easier to have the clown in office than to actually have radical change because the democratic party does not want does not like this is the last gasp of like the Ten percenters desperately, cravenly retaining power, and the cultural elite like desperately. I mean, it's, I just see this. I get so upset with the the realm that I work in that it's just become this realm of like the culture war, of like basically just becoming obsessed with like frigging Trump, and each side just like frigging fuels each other. But the point being that if there's any insight within the kind of reaction of the right to the left, and I, oh my God, it's funny, there's this stuff like the Guardian types. Um, so there's, you know, there's really funny stuff I saw on the Guardian about like trying to blame the right for the culture wars, as if like the culture wars are being invented by the right. It's like, no, the liberals generate like, oh my God, like they want the culture wars because they have like removed any like political movement from politics to the private sphere and then also that like it's a moral responsibilization of the individual but it's just so funny yeah. this is like ridiculous anyway but if there's any truth into like some of the reactions from the right mm-hmm. so um the fetishization of identity and also the fetishization of fetish because i think this is a separate thing i don't think the fetishization oh, yeah that's really good is, yeah. yeah so i don't think the fetishization of identity is innately sexual and I don't think the fetishization of money is an HE sexual at all. And I think that reading 
of it being sexual led us to the failures of 68. And not only that, but the egregious spread of capitalism into the private realm. By I think you meant 69. I think I meant 69, yeah. yeah. Um, but the point <laughs> being, so like fetish has become a fetish. And yeah. certain things like... That's exactly know, right. And it I is. Think, I, think you, I think you did it. I think you, I think you, you uh, decodified the universe. You got it. Oh my God. No, but the thing is, it's like, it, it is profoundly traumatic to the other to yeah. see somebody's fantasy laid back. I mean, this is, this is frigging um, the insight of Eyes Wide Shut, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like horrifying to see somebody. I was looking on Instagram the other day and somebody posted these nice pictures that they'd had taken by a photographer in, in LA and they're like really good photographs. And then I clicked on the profile of the photographer and it was like their professional page, but they were like um, a rubberist mm-hmm. and also had a fetish, like a medical fetish and like a rubber fetish. And they yeah. like just posted photos of themselves on their like public page about these like, you know, this like public sexualized images of themselves and how they walk around with like like a breathing machine, even though they don't need it because that's their fetish. And yeah. I, I just find that so... It's such a weird thing that yeah. that has become, but yeah, but that's the, the private, the private, the private, the private, the private, the private, like this is the most private thing. And it's yeah. becoming like what, what has become like you're, you're hanging the hat of your identity on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's traumatizing to people to see that. That's yeah. the nature of sex. Yeah, I think transcendence is basically the problem. I mean, everybody's a fetishist, and also everybody's religious. Uh, I don't know uh, if yeah. I told you, I don't know if I told you about this, but there's a there's a sort of like subculture or sub theology of main theology, which is called like leather theology, and it tries right. to sort of like incorporate sort of like fetishism into salvation, <laughs> into like uh, yeah, Christian salvation and the narrative. It's just like. Can you have a more sort of pure utopia than the one that Christianity paints in which you can escape death, you can have eternal life, and you can have total redemption from your sort of like depraved nature? But it's not enough. Like they have to, like a lot of different sort of like subculture theologies, they try to add things to it because it isn't sufficient the way that it is. And I think that's that's sort of like a great sort of like uh, a point of reference to how nothing is ever enough. You can have the promise of all these things. And I and I know people that believe fully that they're not going to die, that they're going to go to heaven or whatever. And that's not enough. I mean, they, they still fetishize. They still need this sort of like promise of that is that is incalculable, that is undecipherable, that is going to eventually sort of like surprise them. And I think that it's that's not just something for religious people. It's something yeah. that everybody sort of uh, uh, participates in, except you and me. We don't, we don't do that. <laughs> well, what I, have said, I would say is like doing psychoanalysis is like it deprives you of of the crutch of transcend, transcendent fantasy and you're just like confronted re- with the reality of life, which is very fucking difficult. And this is the thing. It's like, if only we could understand how difficult it is to be a person. And I say this also as like, you know, one could get accused. I'm sure there's a certain like materialist extremists who are like, I say, what you're saying is like billionaires are people too. They're not people. It's like, well, no, nobody's a person. 
months, you mm-hmm. know. But like, no, the, the accumulation like that is a symptom of of lack. Mm-hmm. And like, it is surprising that anybody gets out of bed in the morning when you actually think about the trauma of of life. And mm-hmm. like, and obviously, I I'm a, I am a materialist. I understand that like people's existences are like uh, unfairly like with with resources unfairly distributed like some people's lives are way worse than others of course but all of that aside the inherent question of being human it's like how do we keep going in the face of deep down knowing that we are in this black nothingness on a freaking piece of rock (laughs) here by complete accident and that after you know our accident of birth which is like a one billion chance Mm -hmm. very fucking soon we're going to disintegrate into nothing and everybody will forget us. Yeah. Like that's horrible. It's kind of nice. I kind of like it. No, but <laughs> I think it's I think it's funny that you were saying like uh about about the trauma and I think that mm-hmm. it's even that becomes sort of like commodified and and fetishized. Because yeah. Yeah, like I think that instead of sort of like accepting trauma uh, people want to fetishize it, and the, and you know that 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 turns into like the oppression Olympics yeah. and like yeah. the sort of like the, I, mean, I I don't know about you, but I don't I don't really love this sort of trend where everybody has PTSD and everybody can sort of like capitalize on the fact. Well, that this is the thing, yeah, like pe- life or whatever. Every everybody probably does have fucking PTSD, but it, like this is the difference. It's like it's like a, it's a like textual difference. Do you know what I mean? It's like. Life oh, is really, really shit, yeah. and then the de- you know we we very bravely continue on, and we get out of bed in the morning, and we keep going. Mm-hmm. We don't like use our our whatever as like a, as as a, as a victim coin to further our careers and get some fucking column or somebody then know me please. But the thing is, do you know what? It's a real undercut, and I have yet to get there because I do get riled up by it, and this is a living investment on my part that like I wish. I wasn't so annoyed about, but I almost get annoyed because I feel like it needs to be pointed out as the key issue of our time. The key disavowal of our time is like woke identity politics. And actually it, it is going to lead to Trump being elected in November. And it is a yeah. disaster. It's like the people who engage it's not in a dis- it. Like, I mean, it's not a new disaster. No, it's not a new disaster. It's just disaster manifested in its contemporary form. It's like how how in pain these people are. <laughs> Uh-huh. Like and that's the really that's that's the really that really is the thing that like makes it totally pathetic. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. not pathetic because it is very dangerous. I think it's a very dangerous ideology. But like, think how think how like broken these people are to have to engage in it. Yeah. To have to like be so hate filled with other people and so individualistic and so desperate to be recognised by the big other mm-hmm. in their suffering. Yeah. In their in their fetishized disavowal of their true suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also, I mean, I think there's like a, the retroactive sort of positing of trauma, and I think that happens mm-hmm. a lot. It's just yeah, like you yeah. don't recognize that you are traumatized until you say it, until you, yeah, until, until uh, yeah, you, you sort of like transplant trauma into the past rather than, I mean. But basically, sort of like the universality of trauma 
should basically be something that is just a component of subjectivity rather than something that we're yeah. constantly noticing yeah, and yeah, trying yeah, to capitalize yeah, yeah, yeah. on or to be yeah. recognized through the trauma. I think, yeah, yeah, it should be sort of like a silent sort of element that is there always. But, you know, we, we look beyond it. This is why, well, I mean, <laughs> I always think like, this is really fucking stupid of me, like making work that just is like, witness the suffering. Mm -hmm. witness the real witness the impotence of the gays like i honestly think we need to get people like to confront that i think i don't know have you seen like manchester by the sea it's such an amazing movie and it's like the the real political power is like how fucking awful Mm -hmm. and i always think like we need to like almost really this is like the 12 steps like humanity needs to get to step zero it's like no how maybe i'm like the greta thunberg of like getting people to confront the lack <laughs> you mm-hmm. know like, it's like how if you do with your fairy tales of <laughs> progress or whatever she says but like it's like you have to witness the shitness and then from there witness the shitness that's gotta be the, that's gotta be the title of the episode <laughs> yeah that's great <laughs> but the um yeah, it's not even shittiness it's shitness the shitness um okay the funny the thing that i find it's not that funny it's also it is also immensely sad on both on it's funny also if you say like on both sides now it means like certain things so a friend of mine i said something the other day and a friend of mine thought i was quoting trump and i was like no i was just using some words i didn't know trump said mm. um but it is funny that like obviously yeah work, uh, terms and ideas that are used by an individual take on sort of meaning um but I was going to say on both sides, because obviously Trump said both sides about Charlottesville, and then I'm not like saying that, but I'm saying like, okay, you know, there are all these like female academics that are getting outed as like fake people of color. Have you seen this? Yeah. <laughs> obviously started with Rachel Tullet. <laughs> no, I think I think that uh, I think that one of the reasons why people hate Trump so much is just because they're jealous of him. Uh, not so much because he has power, but because he's an idiot and he's comfortable with that. With that, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and, true, and also he seems just kind of like lazy. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he he can have his cake and eat it too. And that's sort of like his supernatural sort of power that, yeah. that he, yeah. he's kind of, he's he's obviously clueless. He's lazy. I mean, mm-hmm. what is it that they say that he just watches like four hours of TV like every day? And there's also this, there's also this like, uh, a signifier that I I yeah. really like, which is like Cheeto, and uh, everybody's like <laughs> saying that he he eats so many Cheetos because he's a lazy fuck that he's just like he has taken on the color of a Cheeto. Who doesn't want to just like lay down, and watch Fox News to laugh out loud and eat Cheetos? <laughs> so yeah, that's basically. <laughs> It's so true. Like he's yeah. this is the, so the the baddie now in, in, um, in films as of the last twenty years or whatever is the smiling, uncastrated. You know that the, the yeah. Joker, the Joker, he has enjoyment on his face. He really like just loves his life. You know. Yeah. No, but yeah. I, I mean, and that's why maybe people fucking like the, the there are all these like Melania stands amongst the like frigging. <laughs> elite liberals because they're like yeah. look she she exposes she exposes that look at her glare look she touches his hand away look there's we have yeah. poked a hole in the fantasy 
but it's so funny like the things that they don't like about trump like melania sort of like swatting his hand away yeah. okay that i'm pretty sure that's happened to almost everybody in a relationship I know. your I spouse know. is upset like but you know why they don't like it in trump it's because it distracts from the the great sort of no they like it that, yeah. they like it <laughs> yeah i guess yeah that's that's true I was, thinking, but I was going to say about the, the kind of both sides thing is that like I see um, in terms of the, these like women, they're always women. I don't know why. I mean, I'm not like a patriarchal conspiracy theorist. It's like they always, it's always the women that get exposed. But anyway, so it's the um, these women who pretend to be POC university professors. They don't pretend to be Dulls university all or professors. whatever. Yeah. But I felt like obviously sorry for the individual who pretends and then sorry for the people who for whom it's like the most egregious mm -hmm. crime ever. Yeah. To be ex like it, but like, why is it such a crime? Yeah. What does that say about how we rationalize questions of race and stuff? Like, yeah. But um, we should do a, we should do an episode on Chomsky because Chomsky, Chomsky is, I don't like Chomsky, but he 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 talks about this thing. Where it's just like he's he's in an interview with an actor, the guy that does the unconceivable thing on uh, Princess Bride, and mm -hmm. he basically just sounds like, don't you think that just people just want to be left alone and like just be in the room and and chill? And Chomsky's like, no, there's a political sort of potential in people to engage with reality and to get out of bed every morning and like fight. Fuck that. I don't <laughs> No, I, mean, I think yeah. I think I have to say um Chomsky's analytically minded, so I think that yeah. means that you miss something. That's yeah. the key insight. Um and so it's always perpetually confusing. You turn into Francis Fukuyama, you're like, this must be the end of history. Oh, no, yeah. it isn't anymore. I wonder why. Um yeah. but um what was I gonna say that uh you you said something about Chomsky. Um Yeah, I don't know, Chomsky. Uh, but but yeah, the, this question of like um so uh, these women pretend to go back to it, pretend to be POCs. It's like there's, it, they're always accused of taking advantages, taking advantages from people who more deserve it. So it's like, what advantages are these? Yeah. I asked yeah. you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there, was, oh, yeah, there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about, but I think it's too, uh, that was in the news this week, but I think it's almost like too much of a, a topic and it's a very particular topic. And I think to anybody who has... A brain cell is pretty obvious what the analysis is, so maybe we won't touch on that. We'll leave it for the next one. Okay. Sounds yeah. good. All right. Well, thanks for listening or whatever. And uh until next time. Okay. Don't don't get angry with us for being a bit more honest. I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm gonna get told off, but Or do, do you know we? we'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Fuck it, who cares? I don't care anymore. Yeah. Okay. Uh goodbye. Bye.